Well, good afternoon once again. Hopefully that video that you just saw on the screen was a little bit inspirational, you know, kind of with the thematic uh, sound score in the background. Uh, you know, if you're the kind of person like me who likes movies, um, you know, you might appreciate the shirt I'm wearing today. I don't know if you can see. It says, Top Dad, Top Gun. <laughs> I had to wear it because my son got this for me today for Father's Day, a.k.a. Mom did, but um, I was like, you got to wear it. I'm like, well, it's a little snug. So it's a good inspiration to hit the gym first thing Monday. So, uh, well, again, welcome. We get to take this time and, you know, our, our church here to honor the fathers in our midst today. I'm glad, fathers, that you're here because one thing I thought, well, there is a chance on Father's Day we may have an absence of fathers because some may be out, you know, celebrating with family or doing special activities. So I might end up be preaching to the women, but this is actually great. So, men, thank you so much for <laughs> being here today. Uh, the title for today is Becoming a Godly Man. Becoming a Godly Man. And before we jump into that, I just want to remind everyone here today, next week is our celebration service. It'll be one year since we began this church plant. We've had different people come and go, and um, I'm really hoping and believing next Sunday is going to be a tremendous celebration. Amen. And that uh, I have one request, not only that you make sure that you're here, but tell at least one person just to come out. It'd be great to fill this place, not because we're about numbers, but there's something about a celebration. So we don't want people to miss out on it. So next Sunday will be a celebration and uh, the, there should be some surprises, but I'm not going to let you know exactly what they are because you never know with the logistical world of getting things here. So we'll just say it's going to be fun. Okay. So make sure you're here. So we're looking at becoming a godly man. It's a worthy pursuit, isn't it? Man, do you think it's a worthy pursuit to be a mighty man of God? Amen. You know, the thing that makes us fathers are our children. Um, you know, one, one, once upon a time, I did contemplate, did I want children? Not that I had anything against children. I love kids. I love my children. But there was a time where I asked myself and I asked the Lord, is it for me? And I think it's a good question to ask yourself because it's a tremendous joy and a tremendous responsibility. Like that famous quote, with great power comes great responsibility. Fathering children is a joy, and it is a heritage. The Bible says it's a heritage of the Lord, and we're to have our quiver full of them. So at the families represented here today, who in the house, men, who here has the most amount of children? How many have four kids? Three kids? Three. How many do you have, Dan? Five. Man, you're like halfway to a quiver. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Happy is the man, the Bible says. Happy is the man who has filled his quiver with children. They will never be put to shame when they speak with their enemies at the gate. It's a tremendous joy and it's a tremendous responsibility. We're told in Ephesians 6.4, Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And so today we're going to do a little bit of a journey through scripture, a bunch of different scriptures into a passage in the book of Numbers. But first, 
The point I want to emphasize here, it's not in our notes, not quite yet, Claudia, but it's this. We need to strike the balance. So, man, just remember this. If you go for axe throwing, you got to hit the mark. But we need to strike the balance as we're throwing the axe. Strike the balance. We're told in Psalm 103, verse 13, As a father has compassion on his son, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him on those who fear him. It's a blessing of God that when we revere the Lord, that that directs our steps. And as I was contemplating on this verse, it just dawned on me that there's a real truth in the blessing that when we revere the Lord, because when we revere the Lord and our children see us revering the Lord, they will in many respects follow suit. Check out this uh, promise of scripture in Proverbs 23, verse 24. The father of a righteous son will rejoice greatly, and the one who fathers a wise son will delight in him. A father of a righteous son will delight in him. You know, now as a father, my my children are eight and three, and they do test me, but they bring me tremendous joy. But I am like you, tested. And I couldn't help but think, even when I woke up this morning as I'm trying to prepare, I had a late night last night. I was in Port Perry doing a wedding, and I got home after midnight. And I had a great time, though. It was a wonderful celebration. In fact, there were people at the wedding, go figure, that are from Waterford. And they said, that was a wonderful service, one of the best I've been to. I'm not tooting my own horn, just saying. We're going to come to your church next week. I said, that's the perfect time because it's our celebration service. But while I was there, you know, I, I expended a lot of energy. I get home. I'm tired. You know, I spent time with friends. I was doing their wedding. And once I got home, I, my head hit the pillow, and I thought, man, I'm tired. Lord, you're going to have to help me in the morning because I want to have a lot of energy because it's Father's Day. You know, it's like the one where you have to hit it out of the park. And so as I got up and my kids are running around, they want me to play with them. And, Dad, Dad, we got this for you. And I'm thinking, okay. We're cutting into my time a little bit here for preparation this afternoon. But it dawned on me, the, one of the points that I had written down is, as fathers, we leave a mark. We leave an impressionable mark, whether we like to or not. In many respects, it's out of how we live our life that we're going to potentially form paths for our children. Many of you are here today because of decisions and things that your parents had taken or, or that which your father had led you in. Perhaps you came to Christ through your, your father. And I thought of this scripture in Proverbs 17, 21. It says this, a man's father, sorry, a man fathers a fool to his own sorrow. The father of a fool has no joy. A man fathers a fool to his own sorrow. The father of a fool has no joy. When I was looking at this first, I thought, Lord God, <laughs> please enable me to not raise fools. <laughs> straight up, straightforward. And the way that happens is for me not to be a fool, to follow after the ways of the Lord, Right? to leave that mark, to be intentional and leaving that mark. And, you know, I get it. Being a man in today's world is no easy task. Being a man, let alone being a godly man. Today, right, being a man is challenged in society. 
And if you want to live after God's own heart, you can see the crowd. You can see the crowds go so many different ways, almost tugging you, pulling you like tug of war. But will you to the course? And the impression I want to leave upon us today that this becoming a godly man, it involves making a conscientious decision of intent. Intent. Would we take up that call this afternoon? Proverbs 22, verse 6 says this, Start a youth on his way. Even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. Think about the way that you look at the world. This is something that's been speaking, ministering to me. The way that I look at the world, my children in many respects are going to look at the world in a similar fashion. If I look upon it with optimism, if I look upon it and not being knocked down by the different pressures and such, in many ways my children will follow suit. But if they see in their father who's a a complainer, a grumbler, and those kind of things, well, the fruit doesn't fall too far from the tree, right? And this is something as I'm preaching to myself, as I've been contemplating this passage of scripture we're about to get into, as we look at the people of Israel and specifically one man by the name of Caleb. Now before we turn to Numbers 13, just think for a moment, what are some of the dreams you have here today, men? What are those dreams? What is that which you want to become? I'm sure when you wake up in the morning, you think, yep, today's the day I'm going to make a difference. Today's the day I'm going to be the hero of my own story. I'm going to be the hero for my children. Perhaps you've prayed like me and said, Lord, I want to make a lasting impact in my family and in my church. And when we pray those things, when we believe those things, at times it can feel like it's an insurmountable path, maybe even a task. But on the other side of it, what are some of the dreams that you have for your children? What are the dreams of your children? What are those dreams? And as we go into this part of scripture, I want you to think in the back of your mind, the dreams that your children have and the dreams that you have for yourself. Because becoming a godly man to champion those dreams doesn't happen overnight. We have to become We have to have a level of intentionality. So today we're looking at Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13, and we're going to look and see how the the people of God have come out of Egypt, and they're on a journey. They're becoming who God has destined them to become. So we're looking right here at the beginning of chapter 13 in Numbers. Starting in verse 1, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses. He says, Send men to scout out the land of Canaan I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one man who is a leader among them from each of their ancestral tribes. In verse 17, it says, When Moses sent them out to scout the land of Canaan, he told them to go up this way to Negev, then go up to the hill country and see what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or are few or are many. Is the land they live in good? Is it fertile or unproductive? Are there trees in it or not? Be courageous. Bring back some fruit from the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. Think of that word there. He says, be courageous. 
And as men, we like to hear that. Yeah, courageous, right on. Be courageous. It says in verse 23, when they came then to the valley Efskal, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, which was carried on a pole by two men, and they also took some pomegranates and some figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut there. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from scouting out the land. So here they see that they're not going to come back empty-handed. They're doing what Moses has told them to do. In verse 26, it says, The men went back to Moses, Aaron, and the entire Israelite community in the wilderness of Paran of Kadesh. They brought back a report for them and the whole community, and they showed them the fruit of the land. They reported to Moses, we went into the land where you sent us. Indeed, remember this point, indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey, and here is some of its fruit. However, the people living in the land are strong, and the cities are large and fortified. We also saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites are living in the land of Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. It's like a software convention. And the Canaanites live by the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people in the presence of Moses and said, and remember this part, let's go up now and take possession of the land because we can certainly conquer it. But the men who had gone up with him responded, we can't attack the people because they're stronger than we are. So they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land they had scouted. The land we passed through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are men of great size. We even saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. To ourselves, we seem like grasshoppers, and we must have seemed the same to them. So this is the encounter of what's happening when the men of God have gone out to scout the land. They were trustworthy men that Moses sends out. So here's a little bit of a backstory. As I was saying, they've come out of Egypt. Moses has led them to this place in time. Keep in mind that before this encounter, God had led them through the Red Sea, parted the Red Sea by the obedience of Moses, by the strong hand of God, the scripture says. The waters were parted, the Israelites marched through, and then he closed it up behind them to completely devour their pursuing enemy. There was nothing left. He completely cut off their ability to wage war against them. And then if that wasn't enough, they come to the mountain of Sinai where God gave them the Ten Commandments. They would have saw the pillar of smoke and fire on the mountaintop where Moses was meeting with God and receiving these commandments. So they're seeing these signs. They're seeing these wonders. And then Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments and these, these laws are there for the people to preserve them in the ways of God. And then they come to the other side of the Jordan. They're just on the precipice. There they can see within reach is the promised land. It's within reach. Nick, it's as if you could just reach out and just grab it. 
But then all of a sudden, as they go and they scout out the land, something happens. The men say, hey, you know, it's productive, but... For a moment, the men forgot who they served. And as I was reading through this, I couldn't help but think of a a takeaway point that this is what good fathers do. They lead us to places of promise. They lead us to places of promise, and we would be good to listen to them. Our heavenly father, who's a good father, he's going to provide for us. He's going to lead us in the way that is everlasting. The scripture says he doesn't give us bad gifts, but good gifts. We have to be willing to go up at times. Be willing to go to the places that maybe even seem daunting or uncomfortable. And here we see Moses, he speaks to the people. Caleb speaks to the people to bless the people and say, let's go up now. Let's take possession of it now. Several weeks ago, we looked at the word blessing in the Greek is barak or baraka, which means to bless. It means to speak favorably in a way that renders favorable outcomes for the person that you're blessing. So here Moses says to the people, this is the land we're going to go into. Caleb's saying, God is with us. Let's go take the land. And yet there were others, even in the midst of everything that God had done and said, no, it's too much for us. At times as men, we can back down. Maybe we say, it's too much for me. I can't quite handle this. Especially as a man of God, to live a life of virtue after God's own heart. It's definitely not popular. And this is something my father always encouraged me. He said, Andrew, whatever your dreams, whatever God has put on your heart, trust in the Lord. Pray to him and ask him for his pleasing and perfect will. His pleasing and perfect will. I never forgot that as I reach for my dreams, reach for the dreams that God would have for you. Not the dreams of the world, not the dreams that the enemy wants to speak into the thought life, but rather the dreams of God. Good fathers lead us to a place of promise. Good fathers champion our dreams. How many of your fathers championed your dreams? Would you be able to say, yeah, my dad was there. He championed me for whatever pursuit I had in life. He was right there to cheer me on. And I understand this isn't the scenario for everybody. And, and if that's you, and I'm, I'm sorry that you know, wasn't your encounter. But this is the beautiful thing about scripture. That when earthly people, earthly fathers fail us, our heavenly father never does. He's faithful and true. Fathers on this earth, we're meant to resemble our heavenly father. Like Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And so in many respects, even even as we look at this Old Testament story, Caleb is showing for us a glimpse of how men of God are supposed to be. A glimpse of who God is. So Moses championed his people to go to the promised land. It makes me think of this quote by John C. Maxwell. You hear this all the time. In fact, this is how he got the title of this book. It is this, Teamwork Makes the Dream Work. Teamwork Makes the Dream Work. I had the pleasure of helping a member in the assembly here today to put up some drywall not too long ago. And man, I don't know how you would have done it on your own. And it is true. Teamwork makes the dream work. That's something as a, as a son with my own father, 
as he championed those dreams, I felt as if, man, dad's on my team. He's there for me. Whenever I needed to talk and have a conversation, he was right there. So the few questions I have for the men in the house today, fathers, are you blessing your children's dreams? Are you praying for their ambitions? Are you teaming up with them, so to speak, to make what they have dreamed, what has been seated in their heart, become a reality? Prayer is important. Make no mistake about it. Prayer availeth much, as the scripture says. I can remember, and John can testify, the times when I would hear my own father in his prayer room. He would literally close the door, like a literal prayer closet. He would close the door, and I could hear him praying in his bedroom. I could hear him speaking in the heavenly tongues, speaking in tongues, calling out to God for his sons, for his family, for his church. And those prayers went a long way. In fact, one day my father was praying for the woman I would eventually meet. Because God knows I needed a woman of God. In fact, it was in 2010, on Father's Day, of all days, this is really cool. I was at a church that I was ministering at in Milton called New Life Pentecostal. And um, there was this gentleman singing a song. And actually, he's led worship here many times, Ron Demers. And he's up there singing and doing a special. And I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. Seems like a cool guy. And at the end of the service, not realizing the connection, I'm handing out these shoehorns. Pastor walks up and says, okay, Andrew and team, we're going to hand out shoehorns to the men. Sorry, I don't have any gifts for you today, guys. I guess I've dropped the ball. But we're handing out these shoehorns. And as I'm handing out the last shoehorn, and God knew when I needed to actually see this happen was when I handed out the last gift, so I wasn't distracted. I handed out, God bless you, and prayed for a moment together. And then I looked out into the congregation, and I saw this angel. That was Megan. It was my wife. And I looked at her, and I, I kid you not, I didn't hear an audible message from the Lord, but I had this sense in my heart, almost like a downloaded message from on high. This is your wife. I looked at her, and I was like, that's my wife. So what did I you know, get to do? I literally tried to eyeline it right for her. <laughs> I'm like 23, 24 years old. Oh, 24. 24 years old. Boy, was I gutsy. Midst of all these people, you know, I had pastoral duties, but they had just finished, so I eyelined, I'm heading right for her, but then all of a sudden, poof, she's gone. In comes her father. Hey, you know, Pastor Andrew, it was, you know, great to meet you today. I'm like, oh, Ron, you did a great job, and here I am trying to, and I don't even realize this is her father. And um, as I'm trying to find this beautiful angel, this other woman comes up to me, and I'm like, oh, jeez. What do you want? You know, just, just, just being honest, just being honest, right? And it was actually Megan's sister, Courtney. Courtney, if you're watching, I'm going to tell the story. I hope I get it right. And so she comes to me and she goes, um, yeah, so I wanted to talk to you about uh, volunteering for summer camps. And, uh, and she starts to talk and she goes, okay, wait, I have to back this up. That's a complete lie. I'm here to talk to you about my sister. Wouldn't you believe her sister was Megan? Whoa, that was pretty cool. I said, okay, well, you know, tell me about your sister. Let's chat. Come to find out that's the woman I was staring at at the end of service. 
that I believe God told me this is your wife. And so to make a long story short, we end up talking on the phone later that night. Her sister gave her my number. We chatted. And she said to me, and this is some boldness here about going up to the hill country like in the passage. We're talking on the phone and she comes to find out that my birthday's on the 22nd. She goes, what are you doing for your birthday? I said, I'm taking you out. We're going on a date. And so we went up to Niagara Falls and we're going for a walk. And I said to her, I said, Megan, I'm not messing around. I believe that you're my wife. I, I don't kid you. You can ask her after the service. Very gutsy, crazy. I don't know how I would feel if my own, you know, daughter came home and told me that someone had said that to her. So I totally understand, Ron, where you're coming from now. At the time, I didn't, but I totally get it. And that was really a big part was because of the prayers that my own father had prayed. He prayed, Lord, make it so crystal clear for the woman that comes into his life that he would know, that he would know, that he would know that that's the woman that you have set apart for him. My dad told me that after the encounter and I I thanked him, so thankful for the conversations we can have with our fathers. So thankful for his prayers, I coveted his prayers. And I saw something on social media. I think one of you in the house today posted this. It it says something or goes something like this. Cherish the times you can speak with your father because when they're gone, the silence is tremendous. Cherish it. Cherish it. And so here we have Caleb. He's showing us this valor, if you will. He's trusting in God, and he remembers what it was like in Egypt. For 430 years, they were under the taskmaster of the whips, the crack, the sound of the whip in the Egyptian land. And they're building, if you will, the dreams of Pharaoh. They had not yet built their own dreams or gone after their own dreams. And they're waiting for this day. Finally, they've arrived on the other side of the river. They're about to go, and God puts this test upon them. This is the way I really believe why this happened the way it is. He was testing them. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Will you continue to trust me? Make no mistake, God was tempting them because God, the the word says in James 1, he doesn't tempt anyone. But he tests us. So the spies went out and as we read from the story, they said it was fruitful, but the giants scared them away. And as I was looking at this passage, another takeaway for men in the house today is this, that when our children come to us, maybe they've met the person they're going to marry or maybe they're bringing a dream to you, whatever that dream may be, don't let what seems like a daunting task overshadow you and make you fearful of what they're bringing to you. Don't let it burden you. Don't just quickly try to kibosh it, try to squash it. But have the conversation. Be willing to listen and to learn from your child. Over the years, I've heard different uh, youth share with me how they felt like their parents weren't on their side. And I would always say, no, I'm sure your, your parents love you. They're, they're looking out for you. They're watching over you. But there are in some cases, and this I'm speaking to myself not to enter in that way of a fool, but there's times where we're so... Uh, lay a burden at our children's feet that they can't thrive. And back to Ephesians 6, 4, it says this, Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. 
Think about it. If God is able to do what he did in the lives of the Israelites and bring them through the promised land, imagine the dreams that he can bring you to. Imagine what he can do in your life when you give him control, when you surrender in obedience and you have faith like Caleb, faith like Moses, being undaunting like Christ to go to the cross because he saw the dream. The heavenly father, the three in one, they are working together. The you know, teamwork makes the dream work and part of Christ's role in that whole teamwork was going to the cross. It wasn't over daunting him. Although he did sweat blood, he went joyfully. And so a takeaway point before we wrap up today is this. Having the right spirit will propel us forward. What kind of spirit do you have here today? What's enabling you to go the distance? We saw here in the passage that we looked at that 10 of the men came back with a spirit of fear. They were petrified, stupefied by the giants in the land. But then there were two. You have to love that there's always two. What did Jesus say? Where two or three are gathered, there I am in your midst. There were two. Two men, Joshua and Caleb, they shared a different story. They had a different spirit on the matter. Look at verse 30. It says here in verse 30, then Caleb quieted the people in the presence of Moses and said, let's go up now and take possession of the land because we can certainly conquer it. He had faith. He was determined. He told the people to trust God that he's going to bring it to pass. Otherwise, he would have left us in Egypt. Fathers, if you have a dream here today, a dream to be a godly man, a, a father who lifts up your child's dreams, that champions you know, their desires of their hearts, be intentional with it. This is something I'm preaching to myself. Andrew, be intentional with your children's dreams. Keep the faith. Believe that as you pray, that God is going to put that dream, he's going to seed it within their hearts. Now, many of you have children that have, you know, come and grown, and you've seen their dreams come to fruition, and you can testify to this truth. Life is full of obstacles, as we see from this story. They saw an obstacle. They saw these giants, and yet there was something about these men that they didn't tuck their tail, so to speak, and run. He said, let's go up. Let's go up. So what can we learn about these two guys? What can we learn about Caleb? It says in verse 24, in chapter 14, it says, but since my servant Caleb has a different spirit and has remained loyal to me, I will bring him into the land where he has gone and his descendants will inherit it. What happened here up to this point is because of the 10, the 10 and all their family, anyone under the age of 20 did not enter the promised land. Seems pretty harsh. But that's exactly what happened. Anyone under the age of 20 did not enter the land. In fact, God said that your children under this age will inherit it, but you will not. In fact, your carcasses will fill the, the wilderness. And your children will bear the burden. But Moses interceded for the people 
interceded that God would not just completely wipe them out. God said to Moses, I'm going to establish an entirely new people. He's like, no, God. He fell face down, tearing his clothing. No, God. He interceded for the people in their midst. And a little bit of a segue here as we shift a little bit before the worship team comes. Sometimes when we see what can seem like insurmountable tasks, it's easy to get our back up. It's easy to, you know, grumble. It's easy to complain. But I admire those people. Maybe you're one of those people in this place today where you're able to take things in stride and get on with life. That's something that I'm working on. I admire people who are like that. You know, the ones that are almost like surfers that are on the open wave, they're just so chill. It's easy, man, right? No matter what life throws at them. And I, I wrote this down as a point for myself to encourage you here this afternoon is, what made the difference? What made the difference for Caleb and Joshua? To emphasize the point, once again, it was what was in here. It was the spirit that was within them. What was in their heart. Jesus promised us, he says, anyone who believes in me, that I will come to them. I'll make my home with him. And his spirit will dwell within us. Becoming a godly man, following after God, no matter what giants are before us, no matter if the dream seems insurmountable, that when we follow him, the, the spirit of the living God, that we will overcome. What spirit's guiding you here today? As the worship team continues to get prepared, I thought of this analogy. Think for a moment of two balloons. One's filled with water, Weighed down. It's not going anywhere. Maybe it roll a little bit. But then the second balloon is filled with helium. And you know how a helium balloon works. It just rises up and reaches further and further to the heavens. It's like it's pulling and tugging on the cord that's in many respects attached to the earth. In many respects at times, we can be like those holding a balloon of water, weighing us down. The fears, the giants are weighing us down. But when we release that and exchange that for the, what the spirit of the God has for us, what he's calling us to, it's like we're holding a balloon of helium. We're able to rise up above it. Rise above the challenges. Rise up above the obstacles because God is not going to leave us wanting. He's going to enable us Jesus said this to Nicodemus, you must be born again to inherit and then see the kingdom of God. The apostle Paul said, continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you today, are you inviting the Holy Spirit each day to come and fill your thought life? To come into your room and, and fill those dreams to see them come to fruition? Are you speaking the promise of God over your life and over the lives of your children? The enemy of our souls, as we all know, wants to come and to pillage, to plunder. 
And I thought of this verse here this morning. I wrote it in last minute. In 1 John 2.13, it says this. I'm writing to you fathers. Just imagine this letter is written to you because in many respects it is. I am writing to you fathers because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have conquered the evil one. We know who we serve. We know the God who led the Israelites out of Egypt, the same God who parted the Red Sea, the same God in the midst of the sin and the chaos came and became flesh and went to the cross for our benefit so we could be free from our sins once and for all so that we could truly step into this place of being a godly man or woman for the Lord. But since my servant Caleb has a different spirit and has remained loyal to me, I will bring him into the land where he has gone. and his descendants will inherit him. What are those dreams? What are those dreams that you have here? I'm going to invite every person here, just for sake of privacy, just to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'll take a moment to bless the fathers in this house. Heavenly Father, thank you for the many examples of godly men in our midst. I thank you, Lord, that you give us the strength to endure. Father, I pray you give us the courage to continue to step into the call that you've put upon our lives to chase after you, to set our hearts upon you, to follow your ways and your decrees to meditate on your word, to make it part of our life and teaching it to our children. Father, I pray here this afternoon as fathers that we would blaze a path for our children to follow, that in many respects they'd be able to go and and rest upon our shoulders, that they would not be overcome by the giants in the land of that which is popular, the different aspects and issues in this culture. We know that we live in a a, a tremendously pervasive and godless culture, but God, I thank you, Lord, that our children can rise above it. Lord, as we rise above it, may we be examples to them. May we be living examples of those who trust in you. God, we would resist the urge to complain about the difficulty we see before us, but rather rest in you, believing that you're going to bring us through the difficulty. We better run up that hillside to the place of promise. Father, enable the fathers who are here today, Lord, they would champion the dreams of their children. They will lead them to a place of promise. We believe your word that says that when we train a youth from a young age, that when they are old, they will not depart. We stand on your word. We stand on those promises. God, forgive us for any missteps. We know we've made many. But God, we thank you because of the cross, because of everything you did at Calvary. Your mighty spirit is working in us, regenerating us to be more like you, that we can conquer giants. No matter what we face, we know that you're with us. Bless each father who is here today and every person that is in this house. Thank you, Lord, that your spirit rests on each one of us.
in Jesus name in Jesus name and if you're in agreement I invite you to say amen amen for just